my name is Tracy Carpenter and I'm a member with Restored Church. If you're new, welcome. We are glad that you tuned in. We believe that the church is a family and not just an event, and so we would love to connect with you. Uh, there are a few ways that you can do that. The first being um, through our website, which is www.restoredtemecula.church, um, and then click on contact. We also have a mobile app that you can get in the Apple or the Android app stores, and through that app you can see past um, messages, upcoming events, and other ways for us to connect. Um, so with all that said, we hope you enjoy the message. All right, good to be with you all. Uh, this morning, my, my name is Herrick, and it's good to be with you all. Uh, this morning, we're going to continue in a series that we've been in for a few years, it seems like. I think it's been a few years, uh, called The King and His Kingdom. We're going through the Gospel of Matthew. And the reason we've been in this for a few years is because the Gospel of Matthew is full of treasure that we just like to unpack little by little as we go on. And so this morning, I have the privilege of continuing on Matthew. Uh, I, want to, I want to pray before we get started. So if you'll join me, let's ask God to do what only he can do this morning. Uh, Father, I want to thank you for this morning. I want to thank you for this time that we get together as your people. And no matter where we're at, no matter what we're coming in with, no matter how we're feeling right now, uh, it doesn't change anything about you and the truth of who you are and the truth of what you've done in sending your son on our rescue mission. I thank you for that and we thank you for that. And we pray this morning that we'd have an opportunity to really see Jesus more clearly, to kind of grapple with him and all the implications of who he is and what he's done. And I pray that this morning that you would impact each person that's here, far beyond like what a sermon can do or a time together can do in the morning. But I pray that, only what, that what only you can do would take place, which is to transform and touch hearts and set us, men, women, young people, onto like a course that ends with you. Father, we love you, and we thank you, and it's your name we pray, amen. As I was prepping for the message this week, I was thinking about something that maybe some of you guys know about. Uh, has anybody here ever heard of a polar night? No, not a single person. Oh, great. Okay, so... Yes. I'm going to do that. Uh, I want you to imagine for a moment that you uh, go to bed one night, and uh, when you wake up, the darkness is still everywhere. Um, but it's not 5 o'clock in the morning, it's not 5.30, it's like 9 o'clock in the morning, and as the day goes on, 10, 11, noon, 2 o'clock, it's still dark out. Okay? That is a polar day. Uh, this happens, this is a phenomenon that happens in a very specific part of the world, or very specific part, part of the, parts of the world. And what you end up happening, having is just like kind of small flashes of light during the day. Okay? So I'm going to read a quote here real quick because science was not my strong suit in school. So I'm going to quote somebody else whose strong suit it was. 
It says, the earth revolves around the sun along a certain axis, but this axis deviates slightly, about 24 degrees, several times a year, making the north and south poles alternative, alternately tilt toward the sun. At the moment when the north pole faces the sun, it's polar night in the south pole, and vice versa. When the south pole faces the sun, it's dark in the north, okay? So I want you to picture this. Perpetual darkness, sometimes lasting for up to five months out of the year. Just imagine living in that, if you can. The impact, like I started thinking about it, and it just gave me anxiety just thinking about it, uh, primarily because what ends up happening in these spaces, and there's different, everywhere that you go is a little bit different that has this phenomenon. But what you end up having is you have perpetual darkness, but what you have is a little bit of twilight. You know that time, kind of that in-between time? You have a little bit of twilight that doesn't turn into a sunrise for days, for weeks, in some places for months. Flashes of light without the source of light. And you essentially have darkness reigning over a whole region. So if you can imagine that, I was thinking about this this week, and I, I think that what we're going to do today is we're going to read a story that's going to be familiar to some of you guys. It may not be familiar to, to all of us, but we're going to read a story today that, that basically describes what happens when darkness settles into a region. And it's kind of perpetual darkness without a sunrise. Not literally, because this, this was in the Middle East, not close to the poles, but more spiritually, like spiritual darkness without a sunrise. And in this story, what ends up happening, and you're going to see this, I'm going to read it to you shortly, is that there is a sunrise that actually, eventually that, that time, that, that polar night comes to an end. And what ends up happening will surprise you. People's responses will surprise you. So grab your Bibles if you have them. And we're going to go to, to Matthew 8, 28 to 34. So we're going to basically do about six verses today. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Uh, we're going to have the verses up here on the screen. There they are. Thank you, Marshall. I'm going to go ahead and read this, and then I'm going to share a few observations with you from the text. So Matthew 8, 28 to 34. It says this, when he, and this is talking about Jesus, had come to the other side, so they were, if you were here last week, you'll remember, they were on a boat crisscrossing uh, the Sea of Galilee, and so they're, they're back in the boat, and they're going to the other side, and they went to the region of the Gadarenes. And so two demon-possessed or demonized men met him as they came out of the tombs. So this would have already, if you're reading this and you're, you're an ancient uh, reader of this text, you're kind of scandalized at this point because the word tomb, it's the place of death. It's, it's a place that is unclean. It's, it's not fit for the presence of God. And so here is Jesus going to this place, and two demon-possessed men essentially are, are, in a play, are coming out of this place where death reigns to meet Jesus. Okay? And then we get a little bit of detail about these, these men. It says that they were so violent, no one could pass that way. Now, I feel like math, there's, there's a lot conveyed there in very few words. If you've ever been to a place... Um, when we were in the northern, nope, central California area, is Big Sur in northern California or central? I think it's central California. 
you know, like if you've been there recently, sometimes parts of the road are impass- impassable, not passable. And so I'm on like very little sleep today, everybody. So I'm, patience is going to be important. Um, there's a part of the road where you just can't keep going. It's, it's damaged. The, the road is impassable. And so what you have here, it's not a physical, the road didn't fall apart. It's not like there was some kind of rock slide that destroyed a road. What you have here is a road that you cannot pass through because there's two demonized men that won't let you pass through. Well, they'll hurt you or worse. So consider that for a minute. Imagine if, uh, what's a... Uh, a major thoroughfare here in Temecula. Butterfield Stagecoach Road. Butterfield Stage Road. I'm telling you guys, our kids would not stop coming to our room last night, and I gave up at 2.45, so here we go. Been up for a while. Butterfield Stage Road. Uh, imagine if that, close to Summer's Bend, that area, so pretty up there. You can't go there because there's two guys on the road that will kill you if you try, okay? It's that kind of disruption in this place. They're so violent that no one could pass that way. Suddenly, these men shouted, what have you to do with us, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Okay, so they are freaking out, these two men. A long way off from them, verse 30, a large herd of pigs was feeding. If you drive us out, the the demons begged him, send us into the herd of pigs. Okay, this again, a bit scandalous because pigs were unclean animals to the Jewish mind. So you have death symbolized by these tombs, people living in the place of death, surrounded by uncleanness. This This is a dark place. Very, very dark place. And so Jesus, verse 32, has one, he says one thing in this entire passage. Go. Just a word. Go, he told them. So when they had come out, they entered the pigs. So the demons left the men, and they entered into the pigs. And the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the water. Okay, this is, is this getting weird for anybody else? According to Mark, it's 2,000 pigs. 2,000. Do do how long would that take? Just like you see one, and then two, and then three, and then five, and then 50, and then 100, and then it's like you still have two, you know, almost 2,000 to go. Just one after another after another, plunging into the water. Verse 33, now we see the response by the people in the community. The men who tended them fled. They went into the city and reported everything especially what had happened to those who were demon-possessed or these men that were demonized. Verse 34, at that, the whole town went out to meet Jesus. When they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. End of scene. Weird. Real weird. I want to share with you three observations from this text this morning. So if you're a note-taker, prepare yourself. This is an odd one. First thing, number one, evil is relentless. Evil is relentless, okay? I want to tell you a little bit about the, one of the men that was demonized, because we get a lot more information 
about his life from the account of Jesus' life in Mark, the Gospel of Mark. Mark verses, chapter 5, verses 3 to 5 give us a little bit more info than what we got here. It says this. This is about one of those men. It says, he lived in the tombs, and no one was able to restrain him anymore, not even with a chain, because he often had been bound with shackles and chains, but he had torn the chains apart and smashed the shackles, okay? So imagine the, the brute strength of someone that could tear chains apart, okay? And this isn't Elsa using her, like, magic frozen powers. Like, this is a He-Man. Ugh. Terribly dated myself. Whatever. <laughs> Doesn't matter. He had been bound with shackles and chains, and he had torn the chains apart and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. This is a terribly oppressed person. This is someone who is suffering unspeakable things. Someone who is in anguish and agony day and night. All the time. All the time. And it seems like there is no way out for this man. And it, it, it speaks to the way that evil works. Evil's relentless in its pursuit of destruction. I recently watched a movie that I had never seen before, which really surprised me. It's called No Country for Old Men. It's like it won a best picture, just missed it completely. But... Um, but it is a fantastic movie. I'm not actually recommending it. I don't, hardly anything I talk about here from the front I recommend, just to be clear. Um, however, it's great. So there's this guy who lives in West Texas, and he's out hunting one day. This is the, I'm, trying to, I'm gonna try to not give a you know, spoiler alert. I might ruin it, but I'm gonna try not to. This guy who lives in West Texas, he is out hunting one day, and he inadvertently stumbles into a scene, like a horrific scene. A drug deal gone bad. And basically everybody that was involved in the drug deal is dead except for one person who's just about to die. And so as you can imagine, typically when people engage in drug deals, there's money involved. And so this is, this is the goal, to make money. And so the money, which was in cash, was there in this scene. So imagine you're, you're walking up to a scene, $2 million in cash, there for the taking, all you got to do is grab it and leave. Or you can call the authorities and you, you don't get anything. And so the character in this movie, kind of the main character, decides, I'm taking the money. I'm taking the money. However, this is all in the first few minutes of the movie. However, uh, his conscience starts to bother him because one of the guys that was there, that was actually alive, was like, I'm thirsty, like, give me water, and he, he didn't help him. And so in the middle of the night, he's like, oh, I can't handle this, the guilt anymore. He goes back to the scene of the crime, which is, of course, why we have a movie, because he got spotted by people who were looking for that money. And so the rest of the movie is essentially this guy being hunted for this money, for $2 million, and it's fascinating, it raises all kinds of moral questions. Um, but interestingly, what ends up happening is there's this guy who gets hired to find him. It's Javier Bardem, great actor, Spanish dude, very handsome. Doesn't matter. He is. But he has this weird haircut. It's like a bulk thing. It's so, so strange. 
But he's the, he's the guy in the movie that's like hired to actually get him, to get this guy who sold $2 million. And if you ever watch this movie, the thing that just stands out, the, the thing that you can't forget about the movie is how this guy will stop at nothing to find the guy he's looking for. He goes to his home. Uh, he tries to figure out where he works. He goes to the property manager for the place that he's renting. Uh, he tracks down family. Uh, he, he's looking and looking and looking and searching. And it's the kind of unrelenting pursuit that will not end until it has what it wants. That's Javier Bardem's character in that movie. And as I was thinking about the nature of evil and this, this story and what it kind of tells us, evil is unrelenting and it will not stop until it accomplishes its purposes, which is destruction of creation. We see in this story, actually, it's not just about the destruction of, of people made in God's image. It even extends out to animals. These pigs were destroyed. Evil is relentless. And there's a sense in which the story kind of reminds us, like, you and I can't stop it. We can't stop it. Uh, there's another character in the movie. There's kind of three main characters in the No Country for Old Men. There's Javier Bardem. There's the guy who stole the money. And then there's this aged police officer, Tommy Lee Jones. And he's trying to figure out, trying to help this guy that stole the money, actually because he realizes kind of like what he's up against. Like, somebody's going to kill this guy. So he's trying to find him. He's trying to provide assistance to this guy, even though he's committed a crime, essentially. Like, the crime that he committed is smaller than the bigger crime, which is the murder of half a dozen people. So Tommy Lee Jones is trying to do the right thing. He's trying to help. He has all these, like, decades of know-how and savvy, and he understands how people work and all this stuff. And he's trying to get in touch with this guy who stole the money to tell him, like, I can protect you. Here's the craziest part of, not the craziest, one of the craziest parts of the movie is, it is so futile. He can't protect him. Not against this guy. There's a greater evil at play here that Tommy Lee Jones' character is always a step behind. I can protect you. No, you can't. That's what makes it such a great movie. There's no way through this situation. Evil's been unleashed. Darkness reigns. We have something similar to that happening in this text. And it's not unrelatable. I think the situation itself, having someone who's so demonized that they're not in the right mind, maybe feels a little bit distant and foreign to us in this place. I don't think that would be the case in other parts of the world, but here, maybe it does. But have you ever been in a situation where you feel like evil is winning and there's just nothing you can do to stop it? You ever get to the point when you think about life and what's happening where you're like, courage isn't enough? It's not. This is the realm that we're in in this story. Maybe you're here and you're facing a situation like that today where it just feels impossible, like there's just no way. Evil or darkness has settled, and maybe you kind of see like little glimpses of light, but it's just perpetual darkness. Evil is relentless. It's a reality that the Bible talks about. It's a reality of our world that we live in, whether we like it or not, and this is a part of our world that I don't like. You probably don't either. 
So that's the first thing. Evil is relentless. Think about these men. Think about what they had been through. They've probably been in the state for a long time. They are completely overwhelmed, dominated by darkness. Second observation that I made in this text. While we fear evil, Jesus doesn't. While we fear evil, Jesus doesn't. Uh, I was recently at a movie with my wife, using a lot of, whatever, this is normal for me, apart from the course. We hadn't been to the movies for a long time, though. Last time we went to a movie was that Maverick movie, which was pretty great, if you haven't seen it. And then we went went and saw Christopher, the new Christopher Nolan movie. Doesn't matter. But we went to the movie theater, and I just kind of forgotten, like, oh, it's September. Uh, I didn't even think about the fact that it's like all of these, this is kind of the season for all the Halloween horror stuff. And so it was just like one commercial after another, after another, after another, where it was just so dark. It was so, the feeling in the movie theater was like, I don't know if if you've ever experienced something like that, but it was just like this palpable heaviness that hung over the room as we watched like one, one preview after another, after another of darkness dominating and reigning. When I was a kid, I watched the, again, I'm not advocating for any of these movies, especially this one, The Exorcist as a child. Don't recommend it at all. But I watched it. I didn't sleep in my own bed for weeks after that. I slept in like a little cot next to my brother's bed. And I was probably 15, so it's not like, (laughs) not proud of this. But I had, when I, was, when I was growing up, I had a stronger sense of the reality of evil than the presence of good. And in this story, what we have, it's, 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 like, it's like a horror flick. You have tombs. You have demons. It says that they're violent. So you have probably blood. There's fear. Darkness is reigning, right? And then in steps, Jesus And what do you notice about him? Nothing. He just steps in and darkness starts to. Who do we do? Set us in the pit. You know, like, whatever you do, don't destroy us. The exact opposite of how I sometimes feel about evil. It's just, it's wild. I think. I think about the, at the mall, they're putting together like a haunted house. Have you guys seen this before? In the parking lot of the Temecula Mall? Three of you have seen it. So this happens, I think, every year. Where they, I think it's in the same spot where they do the carnivals with the, and the noise and the lights. So that's during the summer, I think. This is during the holiday, the Halloween holiday. It's not a holiday. The Halloween time. They put this haunted house in the parking lot. People pay money to go through it. And basically, here's what I've figured out. Because I used to do this too. I actually did one in San Diego that was was pretty nuts. It ended with a school bus. Like you have to go through a school bus to get out. So pretty intense. Uh, Here's my thought on this. I think the reason we pay money to go through a haunted house is to come out the other side of that school bus and be like, it's not real. 
I'm alive. Here's $50. <laughs> right? It's like a, we, just, we just want that feeling of like, I'm okay. I'm okay. We're okay. Everything's okay. <laughs> Does anybody agree with that? Anybody got another reason? Okay, so we're just going to go with that one then. So a haunted house. We just want to come out the other side so that we can feel better about not being there. I think these men essentially lived in like a haunted house, like a perpetual haunted house. And so for them, it's like Jesus stepped into it, and that was going to be, that was the end of it. As soon as he shows up, it's over. He got them out of it. He like rescued them out of it. I remember once when we were, we were living in uh, San Diego, I probably should have cleared this before you, with you before. I think it's fine. I, uh, thanks, Zach. I'm doing it. Uh, we, were, we had just gotten married, and we were living in a place called City Heights. If you don't know anything about City Heights, it's a neighborhood in San Diego. San Diego has t- tons of neighborhoods, and City Heights is one of the most, it is, I think, the most diverse neighborhood in the entire County of San Diego, I think it's one of the most diverse neighborhoods anywhere in America. It's a really unique and fascinating place. And so we moved there. That was our first place that we lived in when we got married. We had a little one bedroom there. And we got married, went on our honeymoon, it was great, and then we get back. And then things start to get odd in our place. Uh, we, we have one night where we are asleep. It's the middle of the night. And we hear like this loud crashing sound in the middle of the night. Now, we had a dog at the time, so I just assumed that our dog, who was a like, small to medium-sized dog, had crashed through something. And as it turns out, we turned the lights on. It was not our dog. Like, there was one of the drawers of our dresser had been, like, ripped out of the drawer and slammed to the ground. But there was nobody there. Nobody there. And you're like, yeah, right, bro. If you don't believe me, you can believe her. She's very honest. I like to think I'm honest, too. But because I have a microphone, sometimes that makes me feel less whatever. (laughs) That's exactly what happened. How that happened, I don't know. Except that I think there was something evil and sinister in our bedroom that didn't like whatever we were up to, which was planting a ch- helping to plant a church, essentially. And so that haunted house idea was real for us for a while, okay? That was overwhelming. It just went from ordinary to overwhelming in a one heartbeat. Everything was fine, and now everything is not okay. And so, is that cool to share this? Okay, great. So here's, here's, what we, here's what happened to us. When we went through that situation, we realized evil is not out there. Evil is here. It's all around us. And I think for whatever reason, it seems like City Heights was like a spiritually charged climate. There were people practicing all kinds of different religions and people coming from all different kind of backgrounds, and it just felt like, spiritually charged. Uh, 
uh, when we were living there. With that said, that was the first time, I think, in my life where some of this stuff started to leap off the page because I was like, oh, this is real. This isn't just a made-up story from 2,000 years ago. This actually helps me make sense of what I'm experiencing now. Even though I wasn't demonized and she wasn't demonized, we were under some kind of oppression at that point in time. And now, what I think, what I think can happen is that evil operates in ways that aren't always quite so overt, right? How often do you see something like two demonized men breaking chains? Probably never. It's probably never happened before. How often do you have uh, appliances or pieces of furniture go flying in your house? Rarely, if ever, right? But our world is actually impacted and influenced by the evil that exists within it more than we know. And I think we've quite simply gotten very accustomed to it. I was watching, I went on like a polar learning spree this week. And so I learned about like the coldest, uh, the, not, it's not, it is actually the coldest city on earth that people live. It's a place called Yakuts. And it's the kind of place where if the temperature is warmer than 65 below, you get to go to school that day. If it's colder than that, you can't go to school. It's too cold. 65 below. That's the cutoff. Who set that cutoff? That's what I want to know. And so what they have to do in this place is that they have to, essentially, like, it's so cold that you can't have water coming into your house through pipes. So they actually have to do, like, the the second frozen reference of the day. They actually have to cut their own ice from the lake, you know? And that's how they have water in their home, is that literally they have ice blocks. And those ice blocks stay frozen because it's so cold, uh, just outside. And it's this place where I watched a video on, on the way that they live, and I'm telling you, like, none of it makes sense. None of it. Who wants to be drinking water from, like, an ice block every day? Ice blocking is for sliding down hills. That's what it's for. But then for them, it's like, actually, we need this to brush our teeth, to drink water, to live. They go to, they walk to, literally walking to school is a life and death proposition. Where it's like, I could freeze. I've just found out that your knees can freeze. Did you guys know that? They know, because it happens there. Their literal knees freeze. It's not like a knee, my knees are locking up. It's like, no, they're actually frozen. That kind of thing can happen. They have to warm their house nine months out of the year with logs, like they're burning, constantly burning wood. And they're used to this. This is normal for them. For us, it's like, what is, like, what kind of a world, what kind of a life is that? It's so strange and so bizarre. But one of the things that I realized is that human beings, we have a capacity to get used to whatever environment we're in, whether or not it's really suitable for human flourishing or not. What's my point in telling you guys all this? In this story, we have outward, overt evil and a whole town that just avoided that road but went on its merry way. You can get used to this stuff. You can get used to evil, to the presence of evil. And it's, it's scary when it's more overt, but when it's less overt... We don't fear it as much. And we probably should. 
while we fear evil, what I, what I learned in this story is that Jesus does not. He doesn't. He doesn't fear it. This is point number three. Third observation. Jesus delivers us from evil. Matthew chapter 8, verses 29 to 32 say, Suddenly they, so these demonized men, shouted, What have you to do with us, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? So they're panicking. They're freaking out. Apparently, calling him the son of God was like, in the ancient world, they thought if you, if you know someone's name, you can kind of get a leg up over them. So they're, they're trying to like, see if they can kind of outmaneuver Jesus. They're, like, they're freaking out, but they're trying to get around him somehow and to avoid the torment that they know that they're under. And then it says, a long way off, a herd of pigs was feeding. And, he said, and they say, if you drive us out, send us into the pigs. And Jesus says, go. One word. That's all he says is go. And what ends up happening, 2,000 pigs go off the side of a cliff. Weirdest story of all time, but that is what the text says happened. And so something spectacular is happening here with Jesus. The scriptures are putting him in front of us. We, we talked about how Jesus uh, has power over nature last week, if you were here. Going back a few weeks, disease. So disease, disaster, and now we're seeing that he has power over demons. Who is this guy? Uh, C.S. Lewis, very famous writer for back in the day, he said, Jesus is either a lunatic, liar, or Lord. And when you see stories like this, and when I see stories like this, like this I'm like, yeah, I think those are the options. Either this is completely made up, and it's bogus, and this is a lie, and there's people who conspired with Jesus to basically lie to us, or Jesus was utterly nuts and had to figure out some way to orchestrate this. Or he actually is the son of God, as the demons rightly identified him as. And they have to do what he says. What ended up happening to us when we were in, in City Heights is that we had, some, we had some Christians come to our house. And these Christians came, and they prayed with us. They prayed for us, and they helped us to process what might be going on in this. This is such a bizarre time. And over the course of the next few days before that happened, more stuff happened. And by the way, just to clarify, this is not a normal occurrence for our family. It's not like this happens all the time. Uh, I actually, like, like I saw things, which I, again, not a normal occurrence. I know that people can go through hallucinations when they're on medicine or they can have like mental health stuff that, that causes them to hallucinate. I've never had that happen, thankfully, but I saw things. And it all stopped when somebody came to our house, a couple of people came to our house and simply prayed for us. And it was over, it was done. It was a, like a power encounter between darkness and Jesus, and guess who won? Jesus. Jesus won. We had something very similar happen a few years later, the only other time that something like this has happened, in North Park, where we were living in a different place. And we went through a terrible time of just darkness and suffering and weirdness. I remember, I remember one night, we were in it, 
we were, it was so, the whole thing was so all-encompassing that I slept for two hours. And I am usually like a sound sleeper. I actually really enjoy sleeping. It's one of my favorite pastimes. I can't really get enough of it. But children and life get in the way. Um, responsibility. But I slept for two hours. Heather wasn't sleeping. You know, it was one of those situations where it felt, I remember walking into our kitchen and I, I walked into the kitchen and I was like, there's something here. I don't know if you've ever had an experience like that. I didn't see anything. I, I just knew something was there. And so what did we do? We had, this time it was more people. It was like 10 people from our gospel community and from the church that came over and just spent a night praying over our family, praying over our household, proclaiming the victory of Jesus over evil. And that was the end of that. In a battle between darkness and light, who wins? Jesus. And for these men who are in this story, and specifically for one of these men, this encounter with Jesus changed his life. And, and if you've read the story in Mark, uh, you get a lot more detail in some of the parallel accounts in some of the other Gospels. This guy went from being, apparently he was naked, he didn't have clothes, like he was breaking his chains, all that stuff. From one minute to the next, it says he's sitting down, he's in his right mind, and he's having conversations with people. So he went from, you can't talk to this guy, he might kill you if you get close to him, to completely well again. And the thing that happened in between was an encounter between darkness and light. And the, the light, the kingdom of God, expels evil. The kingdom of God expels evil. And so here's what I want, here's what I kind of want to land on with this. There's obviously a hundred different ways that we could go with this. Uh, I didn't even really get to talk too much about the town. The town has its own set of issues and problems, but one of the things that I love about the narrative in Matthew that's really clear, and the commentators bring this out, is that they say Matthew almost seems uninterested in anything that's not Jesus. He just like strips some of the details out just so it's sort of like get, get face to face with Jesus. And so that's what I want to do this morning with you is to get face to face with Jesus and just ask you the question like, have you experienced Jesus? Not necessarily freeing you from demonization, although that's possible. There's people in this room that have been through that. But have you encountered Jesus in such a way where you can be like, oh, my life is now different. My life was one way, and now my life is another way. And what happened in between was him. And yes, that is a chosen quote, word for word. Have you encountered Jesus? That's my question for you this morning. If you'll stand with me, I'm going to call the band up. I'm going to land the plane. I know in a room this size, I can't possibly know everything that's going on, although I have, I know many of you, not all of you, and I believe that there are situations that we face in this room that are kind of above us, that are beyond us. I think there's situations where the call in our lives is to, is to introduce discipline and order, and those are really good things, so I'm not anti those things. But I also think there's situations where what we're facing 
It's not like a lack of discipline or courage. We need power. We need an encounter with the powerful one who expels evil in his presence. So I don't know what that looks like, potentially, for people in this room. I don't know if you're here today and you are going through, maybe you're experiencing darkness of different kinds. Maybe you're going through conflict that feels like it's never going to end. Maybe you're dealing with addiction, some level of brokenness that just seems like totally above and beyond you, that no matter what you've tried or what you've done, you kind of, you kind of realize, like, I can't do this. I want to I provide good news for you. Jesus, wherever he went, things changed for people. These guys, I mean, as far as we know, we know that they were crying out, these, these two demonized men. It says that they were crying out day and night. Who were they crying out to? doesn't say. What were they crying out for? I don't know. But there is something that's fascinating about the scriptures, which is that God, going all the way back to the Old Testament, all the way through the New he is drawn to weak, broken, and hurting people who cry out. It almost matters less how you do it. It just matters that you cry out. We see him engaging with people, people the, the people you would least expect. He goes to them. These two dudes are the last people you would ever expect God to show up for. Their house was like a haunted, their life was a haunted house. They're a horror movie. And then right in the, in the end of it, Jesus shows up and changes everything. So I just want to put this in front of you guys. Where do you need Jesus to do what you can't do in your life? I'm going to pray. Father, would you help us to see how we need the good news about Jesus, that he delivers us from evil today? Maybe it's a besetting sin. Maybe it is. Maybe some people do have are experiencing evil in their lives overtly. Most of us think it's going to be more like the covert evil. The other ways that evil works through unforgiveness, through bitterness, through division. God, would you help reveal these things to us so that we might cry out to you and experience your salvation? God, thank you that you're real and that you're working. We love you. In your name, amen. I'm going to call the prayer team up. Would you mind grabbing the mic? The prayer team can come on up. And then Mike, who is on the prayer team today, uh, I felt like he had some things that he brought to my attention. We hadn't talked really about this preach before, but he had some things that they were praying about in the prayer room this morning, which by the way, there's people here always praying for this time for you ahead of time. And I think there were some things that were helpful that came out of that time that I'd love for him to share. There we go. All right. Um, yeah. So this morning we were praying beforehand and um, there's a couple themes that came up. Usually there is some themes that come up and it's always... God's so good. It's so, it's amazing when you're like, we know that he does this, but he brings things to light that are going to come up in the preach. And so this morning, um, Tracy was actually praying um, about that we would see God as he actually is. 
not as we think he is or as we maybe have believed falsely as he is, but that we'd actually see him as he is. And then Kylo, right after that, was praying that um, about us, that we would realize who we are, but also it, as it was all coming together, I was like, oh, that we would see ourselves in light of him. That as we see him, we see ourselves more clearly. We see our brokenness. But we also see who he's creating us to be. And one of the things that came up is like, what keeps us from this? What keeps us from actually becoming the people that he's created us to be? And there's this gap, because when we actually look at ourselves, we're like, well, we're not, not there, that's for sure, if we're being honest with ourselves. There's like, there may be strongholds, there may be sin, there may be things that people have done to us that we're not able to see God clearly. But the reality is, is that Jesus came so that we could see God clearly. We could see who he is and that we could see that he has something far better. And as Herrick shared, that he would bring light into the darkness, that strongholds would be broken, that sin would be overcome, that healing would happen, that ultimately we would move into that place that he's created us to be, the people that he's created us to be. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of other things we prayed for, but it was one of the things that I was like, oh my goodness, this is so clear that um, God, I truly believe that he wants to move, his spirit wants to move through this place and he wants to do a work and he has a plan for each of us guys. And so if there's something that resonates here, I know the whole team would love to build a pray for you, to pray into that for you and to support you in that. So, yeah. yeah. Um, as kind of the last couple minutes, I felt like um, after you hear a message like this, you might be tempted to be like, oh, but what I'm going through or, or like that thing isn't that level and minimizing um, where you, like minimizing the ask for God to intervene. And I just feel like he just wants to say like, even if you think it's the tiniest, smallest thing, he wants to address that. And like, there's nothing, like we often hear there's nothing too big, but like there's also nothing too small. And so just like, yeah, I just feel like that minimizing, don't do that. Come, come and ask Jesus to come be a part of that. Guys, so yeah, if you feel like there's anything that's getting in the way of you seeing Jesus clearly, like, please come up and get prayer. I love what Tracy shared. Here's the reality of it. These guys didn't end up in this predicament they were in instantly, most likely. What gives Satan room to operate is the small stuff. It's anger and bitterness. It literally says like it gives Satan a foothold, space to do damage. And so there's nothing too small because our hearts are engaged and our hearts could end up actually opening the door for evil to come in and impact us. So it doesn't have to be a huge thing. And I'm glad that Tracy mentioned that. The last thing I want to just say real quick before we sing and before I just open it up for you guys to receive prayer is that I mentioned the polar night idea to start this message. Jesus, essentially, what he did was like he's bringing the light. He's, the light is now dawning on this earth. When he rose from the grave, he was consumed by evil in a sense on the cross, he allowed evil to consume him. And then two days later or three days later on Sunday morning, he rose. And that reality 
now means that there is no longer this domain of darkness that's consuming everything. Now we have light that is dawning. And what I want you to know is that there are two responses that we see from this story. The one man says, Jesus, I'll do whatever you want. And Jesus says, stay here and tell them what I've done for you. So there's praise and a life that's been utterly transformed to the point where I just want to tell people about Jesus. So that's one response. And then the other response is the townspeople who say, please leave. Please leave. Interestingly, like there's really not a lot of room for apathy where Jesus shows up. It's like, all in or please leave Jesus. Our responses. So sometimes when the light dawns, people go like this and the sun warms their face and then sometimes other people are like I they turn because it's too bright and they can't handle it let's not be surprised when that happens but on the flip side let's rejoice when people are like yes I want to bask in your light Jesus so this morning two responses one you can bask in the warmth of his light and sing your face off if you'd like or however you sing Maybe it's quietly or loudly. Either's, either's okay. Or you can come up and get prayer. There's a team here that would love to minister to you. Uh, if there's anything that's getting in the way, you can bring it to him. All right, let's sing. <laughs>